This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. States will head to midterm elections. While these elections usually get less coverage and less voter turnout than presidential elections, they play a major role in American politics. Congress is the main event, with all 435 seats up for election. Also up for grabs, about one-third of the Senate seats and two-thirds of the gubernatorial seats. With the progressive discourse growing more dominant in the states, these upcoming elections are not only relevant for the United States, but also foretell of U.S.-Israel relations and American foreign policy in general. One thing's for sure, Andrew Cuomo will most likely no longer be the governor of New York. To discuss all this and more, we're joined today by Iftah Dayan. Iftah is a commentator of American politics and author of the Hebrew blog on elephants and donkeys, and according to his Twitter bio, apparently a world-renowned bedsheet folder. True. We'll have to see about that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the bedsheet folder in our house, so oh. we can have like a bedsheet folding competition. We have an alpha male thing going on. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the four cor- do you have the four-corner uh, I have the four-corner. I have the very smoothly putting the shit together yeah. afterwards. It's a whole technique. Do you do the fold and fold? Or exactly, do you do fold exactly. And third, that, that's third. where most people get it wrong. They don't, do, uh, they don't fold twice. That's why they don't get it very smooth. Uh, okay. Yeah. But what do you? Uh, the 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 scrunchy corners is the problem, right? Yep. The bed sheet itself. Exactly. You have, to, you have to fold the corner into the corner, turn it inside out. Correct. It gets easier after a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes practice. It takes to practice. our lunatics. <laughs> we should go All right, get so. hospitalized. <laughs> so where do we start? Uh, wherever you want. So okay, the midterm elections. When does campaigning start? Maybe give us a little bit of a background. How how important this is this in the United States? Sure. Well, as you said, Congress, um, unlike the presidency, we know presidency election, presidential elections happen every four years. Congress is up for re-election every two years. We have the entirety of the House of Representatives, as you mentioned, and we have a third of the Senate. Now, House of Representatives, um, congressmen, we call them, they serve for only two years. They have to defend their seats every single, every other two years. Now, that sounds terrible, but when you think about it, out of the 435 districts, between 80 and 90 are actually competitive. The rest of them are actually in pretty solid and, and safe, either blue districts, Democratic districts, mostly in, in cities, and rural districts, mostly outside cities. These are red seats, very safe red seats. So we actually, when we look at the two parties and the composition of the map between them, it's actually between 80 and 100 seats that the parties are fighting over whichever controls the majority of seats controls that lower chamber but there are primaries in yeah there are primaries just like any other election there are primaries that, for, for the each sta- state for each um county for, it's actually it it differs and it happens in different dates so like one state would hold their primaries in a certain um month of the year and then you'll have the democrats and the republicans hold it together then a, a month later, another primary would happen. The primaries are, are a bit uh, more um, um, 
chaotic, I would say, but, but then everything happens. The, the main election happens in November, just like the presidential elections. And there you have all, the entirety of the districts all being elected together. But I have one more question. Is it, is it like in other places that like, even if you're a Democrat, you can vote in the Republican primaries, right? There's a thing that's a thing in America. Yeah, it, <coughs> it's actually, it depends on the state and the regulations. Some states allow for open primaries where you can vote whether or not you're a registered Democrat or Republican. Um, and, it, and sometimes if you're a Republican, for say, in a, in a district that is blue, you would like to have your vote mean something and you'll, you'll go and vote in the Democratic primary, even though you're not a Democrat and you don't like either candidates very much, but there's one candidate that you like less. Or maybe it's a, it's a strategic thing. You want the, the other candidate to get in so the Republican will have more chance so, and vice versa. So that can happen, but there are also closed primaries where you can't do that because only registered Democrats or registered Republicans can vote in the primaries. But that's just the primaries. Once you get up to, to November, it's, a, it's, it's all, all hands on deck, everybody vote. Um, usually what happens, what tends to happen is that the leading party, the party that just won or just took over the White House two years before, usually in terms of how the dynamics of politics work, they usually lose control if they have it at all. They usually lose it. That happened to President Trump. That happened to President Obama. That happened to President Clinton. It uncharacteristically didn't happen to George W. Bush. Mostly, we think today because of September 11, which uh, helped Republicans uh, maintain this dominancy in the next couple of two years. But it's very common that the, the party that's actually in control of all levers of government, which is the Democrats right now, they're more discouraged to vote. They, they usually don't turn up to, to support or to thank um, their leaders. And the, the one in the opposition is actually more motivated, more hungry for, for, for power, wants to have more control in Washington. For example, today, Republicans can't say, can't say anything about anything in Washington. They're in the minority. They can only filibuster things, but they can't promote any votes and they don't, the Democrats don't really need them to, to pass certain things. So that's in terms of the House. Mm -hmm. Now, the Senate is a little bit trickier because you have only a third of the seats. We have 100 seats, two seats for each, uh, for each state. And there it's a third of each, um, a, a third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years. And it really depends on the composition of the map. For example, in this coming 2022 elections, you have um, very few vulnerable Democratic seats. And you have quite a bit of uh, vulnerable Republican seats in this specific map. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Democrats are going to prevail. As I said, because the dynamics are bad for the party in power, Republicans can still prevail and actually even overtake the Senate as well. That could happen. But it's a little bit harder. Um, it, it, the states have their own uh, game going on. Sometimes the, the, the identity of the candidate is more... Um, more uh, influential in terms of how people make their decisions. For example, we have a, a senator in West Virginia, Joe Manchin, uh, that comes from a state that is very Trumpian, but is actually a Democratic senator that, that prevails in getting elected. And we have the Republican version of that in Maine, Susan Collins, a Republican, that gets elected in Maine, even though Biden wins it handily. So that can happen also when you go for the Senate. But generally speaking, we, we think the Senate is going to be very competitive because of The, the, the composition as opposed to the dynamics, while in the House of Representatives we are foreseeing a democratic defeat. I think Joe Biden actually assumed that he will be defeated the first day in office. He already bared in mind that he, his first two years in office 
are probably the only chance he's going to get to promote big things, especially in terms of budget things. Because right now the Democrats hold the Congress. Yeah, very hold narrowly. Us. They hold yeah. it. They, 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 they only have a, a, a break-in tie in the Senate because um, it's a 50-50 Senate. And ah, in the Senate, in yeah. the Senate, yeah, and they have uh, the vice president breaking a tie. Yeah, and in the House, it's a very narrow, slim majority as well. So not a lot of space to work with. So when you say that uh, a lot of the seats are not under threat in the in the House of Representatives, does that mean that the candidates themselves are safe, or just the party is safe? Meaning, do the candidates have to fight for their place against other uh, candidates from within the party? Yeah, that certainly happens. Um, as you mentioned before, the progressive wing, which is um, not the, the majority of the Democratic Party, it's, it's, a, it's an, an insurgency, you can say. They, they want to take over as many seats as they can that are in safe districts. That's where they feel they have uh, the biggest chance to overtake uh, maybe more moderate, maybe more uh, establishment figures. And, and the primaries is the, their chance to do it. <coughs> and in the same... In the same spirit, in Republican districts, you have Trumpian, more pop, uh, more um, um, uh, in a Trump mold fashion, candidates will try to take over as many traditional establishment figures of their own um, uh, in their districts in order to create a more Trumpian, more uh, nationalistic, more uh, um, uh, in that mold of Trump kind of a, a um, figure of the Republican Party. And both parties, usually what we see is usually establishment um, in both parties are able to maintain most seats, but there are different cases where it could go the other way. So you, you mentioned the progressive. Let's also talk about the Trumpian faction of the Republican Party in a minute. <coughs> Um, although it's interesting that the Trumpian faction is considered a faction because, I mean, Trump led the Republican Party until well, recently. It's, it's, a it's a faction, but actually Trump uh, is dictating the terms. The party goes after Trump even when he's not in he office. still dominates the yeah, Republican he's, Party. Yeah, he's dominant. Many of these people transformed themselves from being a very classic, um, um, uh, capitalistic-oriented, market-oriented, corporatist um, candidates to a more Trumpian cultural war candidates like they did it because because they didn't want to get primaried and because they had to follow the lead of trump but you're correct it's not a faction it's actually the majority it's it's a question of who assimilates to the majority better so we're kind of veering to 2024 but who who is taking on that trumpian uh like can you give us some examples of I know that uh, there's talk about DeSantis running in the 2024 election, but are, are there candidates in Congress today that, that look a little bit more Trumpian or the talking Trumpian? Well, there are some candidates that were always very similar to Trump in terms of not of, uh, not of temperament, but of policy oriented. So, for example, Tom Cotton, the senator of Arkansas, is very similar to Trump in terms of the messages that he's putting across uh, on immigration, on crime, that kind of stuff. Uh, Tom, uh, Ted Cruz used to be more market-oriented conservative and became more Trumpian because he realized that's where the wind is blowing in the Republican Party. In terms of Ron DeSantis, which you mentioned, is actually a very interesting case because he's trying to make a case for a more restrained Trump style. So he's, he's taking Trump policies on one hand, but he's also in some cases not embracing, not embracing Trump policies. And it's an interesting thing to happen because he, he got elected in the primaries for the Republican um, candidacy for governor of Florida. That's, that's his position, he's the governor of Florida. 
really sucking up to Trump. Like he had a, an, an entire ad in which he is, is telling his son how to build a wall like Trump did. Like it was a very naked uh, um, trying to suck up to, to, to the leader. But then as a governor, he was a little bit more nuanced in how he governed. And sometimes um, um, bringing Democrats into the mix. He's trying to bring a little bit different, new, more nuanced idea of how to manage government. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, that maybe today is the only threat Trump actually faces for, for should Trump decide to run for elections in 2024. Maybe Ron DeSantis is his only threat for, for that candidacy. So there's a chance he won't decide that? Um, there's always a chance he's, he's putting he's putting like um, clues here and there about what he's gonna do there's also the f always the famous case of uh, Sarah Palin in 2012 she fundraised a lot she gave clues about running she said I'm, I'm thinking about it I'm about to make a decision and then she took the, the all of the money and didn't run like so she just made it capitalized on the fundraising and she didn't run she did other things with the money so It could be that that's that the scheme that Trump is looking at, but it's also very, very possible and maybe even likely that he's actually considering and even pre preparing for a run in wow. 2024. So but uh, Biden won't run again for a second. Biden so, is looking to run in again, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It now looks more likely than not. Um, health aside and those kind of considerations, assuming that he's in a mental state that he thinks is uh, suitable for running. He's actually looking It's forward to running. It's very rare again. for the incumbent not to run for re-election. I don't think there has there ever been uh, yeah, the last, Richard Nixon. Yeah, the last case we had um, was arguably Lyndon Johnson. He did run for re-election, but, mm -hmm. but he lost a couple of primaries and then decided to, to, to opt out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than him, a, a case in which a, um, a president decided not to run for re-election, I think the only one I can think of is Harry Truman. Hmm. After winning, he, he was already president for a, a term and a half because he succeeded FDR. He was elected once and he yeah. could have run again, but he knew he was going to lose. So he didn't run. Maybe that's the latest and that's 60. We're going to see like Trump versus Biden again. It's going to be it's crazy. Be, it's very possible. I, I Actually, you can put money on it if you like. like you know. <laughs> so, okay. So we talked about the Trumpian faction of the Republican Party. What about the progressives? Are they gaining ground in the Democratic Party? Are we seeing more candidates from that, that faction of the Democratic Party? Well, we just had a primary. We had a special elections in, in Ohio just, the, just 24 hours ago. And we had uh, this candidate called Tina Turner. Um, that is from the Sanders wing. She's like, she would have no been... No connection to no, no, Tina no, Turner. No connection to Tina Turner. She, she's a very progressive candidate. She signaled that she was uh, about to make trouble for Joe Biden should she be elected from the Democratic Party. So a very, very feisty, um, progressive figure. And she was actually very good at fundraising. She fundraised um, two to one against her opponent, um, uh, Letitia Brown, which is from the more establishment uh, wing. And ended up losing. So that, that was a shock, actually, because that was the one time that we thought that the progressive are gaining ground in this one place that they haven't managed to, to break um, um, uh, new achievements yet. This, this is a seat vacated by um, a, a House of Representatives member that went on to serve in Biden's cabinet, Marsha Fudge. And we thought that the progressives are going to gain there and take the seat, and they didn't. They actually ended up losing. I don't think that you can draw from that Um, a specific idea of where progressives are today. They tend to do better when they're in the opposition, when the Democrats are in the opposition, when um, hatred for the Republicans and Trump is in an all-time high. It usually happens in, an, in the opposition. 
Now Biden is relatively popular within the Democrats, um, uh, members who say that they are going to oppose him and put his agenda at risk. They tend not to succeed very well. This is only the latest example. But maybe if we had to, maybe closer to the midterms, things would look a little bit different. It's really hard to tell. Do, is there any kind of like, st- not statistics, but numbers, like how many progressives are there in the, in the whatever, the 230-odd uh, uh, Democratic seats that, that are occupied in the Congress and House of Representatives? How many of those are progressive? Well, it it's kind of depends how you define a progressive. Some yeah. of them are self-proclaimed progressives in the house and some are um, like uh, you just assume that they would uh, be counted so i think maybe 30 to 40 depends on how you count some are more, more vocal than others there's the, the famous squad aoc ayanna presley so on and so forth some new members that added in the last cycle cory bush um, uh, jamal bowman some these are some new names that we've been added to the mix in terms of the senate there's actually very few there's um, Bernie Sanders, which we, we know is a progressive, but, and, and there are some that are maybe more liberal. But generally speaking, outside Vermont, which hosts two uh, relatively progressive Democratic senators, well, actually... We're they, not Ben and Jerry. We're not Ben and Jerry, uh, <laughs> though they could have been. Um, outside Vermont, not many senators who are self-prescribed um, progressives. Some of them are very liberal on some issues and not so liberal on others. Progressives in general find it hard to win nationwide elections. When they, when they fight over districts, specific districts, they tend to do better. It's a very local effort, very grassroots level. But when they have to win entire states, so either senator or governor, these are positions that the entire state votes for, that, then they tend usually to, to find it harder to put their, number, to, their members uh, up in the ranks. This article in uh, Ynet, which is Israel's number one news website that uh, an opinion piece that said basically that uh, we should make peace with the squad and their friends the progressives and Israel should should make an ally out of them because uh, that's where the Democratic Party is going and we need to I don't know be more flexible so what do you think about that first of all I have a chance I, I have to I have to just um, make a reference and say that the, 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 the author of this piece is a friend of mine his name is Rotem Oleg and he's a very good friend um, I think what he was trying to get at is that it really it really depends on, on where you stand politically I think if you're if you're a conservative and you throw your lot with Trump and with um, evangelicals and uh, the Republican bloc which is undeniably getting more and more pro-israeli then you'll probably thumb your nose at these people. And if you're uh, an anti-Zionist Jew or Arab, you'll probably, um, you'll, you'll probably try to cooperate with them and even find solidarity with them. If you're either a center-left or even a liberal right, prag- pragmatist liberal right, maybe people, somebody like Danny Dayan, for example, you can come and try to say something in, along the lines of, look, we're not going to agree on Israel. Definitely not about the legitimacy of the entire state. Probably not about the, the uh, occupied territories, but we are agreeing on a whole host of other stuff. We can agree on global warming. We can agree on LGBT rights. We can agree on many other things that we can promote together while maintaining our disagreements. That, that's a very pragmatistic, very um, um, strategic way of thinking. Um, I don't know that it's possible. It really depends on, like, progressives themselves, there are different shades of progressives, so some of them are more pragmatic than others. But th- that's, I think, the main argument that he was trying to make. 
And to some extent, I agree with it. There are some progressives that are more pragmatic than others. For example, this uh, Nina Turner um, uh, figure who lost, I don't think they could have worked with her. I think she, she was very, uh, very anti-Israeli. With to the AOC, we can work. Uh, well, you need to try first. We haven't tried yet. I, I don't think... I don't think um, people in the center left, because I don't expect the right, but people in the center left have made a concerted effort to try. Should they try? Should they invite her and try to say, let's promote some other things? But what other things? We need them <coughs> for, for, you know, for our things. Like, they don't need us and we don't need them for environmental issues. Like. Well, I think if you're... Again, this really depends on where you stand politically. If in Israel you're supporting a two-state solution, for example... So you want to increase the legitimacy of the state of Israel as a whole, but not so much of, of, the, of the, the occupied territories part of the conflict, then you can try to get them to your side by working them, getting them to be a little bit more nuanced about their criticism. If you're, if you're not in that realm, if you're more into trying to promote as much legitimacy as you can to the entirety of Israel, including the territories that are not um, annexed at this point in time, then probably there's not a lot you can do with them. Or if you just don't believe in, the, in any kind of like negotiation process right now, then it's not really relevant to, to, <coughs> to lend a hand or reach out to, to that side of the aisle. I just think politics right now in Israel and the States is so polarized and, and, and it's so clear where the lines are drawn. The, the, yeah. the, like the, the right in Israel with the Republicans and the center left with, with, with the American center left, the progressives don't have a lot of allies in Israeli politics other than the Arab parties. Um, but the lines are so clearly drawn that it's maybe not that practical to, to hope for, for breaking that in one way or the other. But somebody has to try in order to disprove this idea that it's impossible. Historically, I mean, uh, do you see kind of examples from the past on how these, these widening gaps and polarizations were closed? in either American politics or Israeli? Um, not that I can think of at the moment. It's yeah. just that it used to be so different. It used to be that it, was, it wasn't hard to find a very critical Republican, a, a Republican that was very critical of Israel. Some of the people who would we consider Trumpist today in terms of everything else they believe in, like Pat Buchanan, for example, a very nationalistic agenda, was very anti-Israeli and was very pro-Arab countries. And that kind of position just doesn't exist anymore, barely exists anymore in the Republican Party. So that it's just a very different reality. And on the other hand, Democrats used to be even more supportive of Israel than certain Republicans. So that it's just there's the there's the video that we just saw of Joe Biden in 86, I think, giving this like this passionate speech about if Israel didn't exist, uh, we'd have to America would have to invent an Israel in order to support our uh, interests in the region. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think that Joe Biden is, is a very solid ally for Israel, specifically because the Democratic Party is moving in a certain direction that is not in Israel's favor. Biden didn't budge. You could see that in the last uh, operation in Gaza, in the last uh, military uh, uh, threatened to cut us off the <laughs> ammunition chain. Implicitly. Well, he, he, he at a certain point, he said that he expects a fire truce. But in the initial days of the fighting, while many Democratic figures, some of them very moderate figure, figures like the Senator uh, Menendez of, of New Jersey, sounded criticisms of Israel that they didn't sound before. That, that, that's ve that they 
everybody moved certain degrees to the left. Even the, le the centrists moved center degrees to the left. Biden was the only one who didn't sound any criticism for the first couple of days. And even later, when he pushed for a truce, he didn't do it with um, um, explicit criticism, only implicit criticism. I can say that I listen to conservative um, commentary every single day, and, I, and, and they, I found that their reaction was, they were surprised as, at how pro-Israeli Biden was at the time that his party was less pro-Israeli than it was in the but past. But I think the standards were have been lowered. Perhaps. I think that that might be part of it, right? Is that now a Democrat who doesn't sound off about the, the, the evils of the Israeli occupation and the, the war crimes that are being committed in, the, in any the operation phrasing. is like, it's, it's kind of surprising. Yeah, right? I agree. He's graded on a curve, no doubt about it. But, yeah. I, but at least you can say, if you look at Biden while looking at the rest of the party, then, yeah. then, then you see, I, I like, to, I like to, to give this example of a, a surfer on a wave. So Biden is like the surfer, okay? And in the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict for the American politics, the wave is moving, and you can you can maneuver around with with uh, with your board and, and and surf here and there and, and change the position. But in the long run, the wave is taking you somewhere else. You, there are things, there are move, movements, tectonic movements that you can't control. So Biden has to navigate the short term. In the long run, there's not a lot he can do, but he's not going to be here in the long run. I'm, we're, th we're talking four, eight, 12 years later that the entirety of the Democratic Party is going to be somewhere else. I will say, however, they're not going to move to the extreme left. Never. Like, they're never going to be the progressives. They can't be. The reason for that is that the majority of the Jewish um, electorate in, in the U.S. is liberal, but is still Zionist. So they're not a progressive um, mold. Even even for the young people, the majority of them are not progressive in their view. They're not. They're not uh, uh, anti. It's changing though. It's changing, but at the moment, it's not the case. But in, even if you don't look at the Jews, just look at the Democratic Party. It's a very wide tent. It's it's comprised of many 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 different groups. Many of them are moderates, and without them, the Democrats can't ever hold power. They can't just win with progressives. So progressives can push to a certain degree, but not. To the extreme. But where would the Jews go? They won't go anywhere. But that's the point. It's not only the Jews. You can look at the African Americans. People in Israel tend to think that African Americans are critical of Israel because they think of the Black Lives Matter movement. But in generally speaking, the Black Lives Matter movement is a minority. Most of the African American voters are actually pretty moderate. They vote Democrat. But they're moderate. They're moderate more and, and more becoming conservative. Most of them grew up in the church, right? A lot of them grew up in the church, <coughs> and they're 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 adhering Christians, which kind of drives them to, you know, not necessarily naturally ally with the progressives. That's that's a first reason to think about why that is. A second reason is that the Jews were very involved in the civil rights movement, and mm -hmm. and African Americans remember that, and 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 hold them favors for that. And, and yeah, and just generally speaking, they're conservative in the way that they vote. They vote for, for members that they think are, are very likely to win in general elections. So they don't vote for progressives. They didn't vote even for black candidates during this cycle. They voted for Joe Biden. They didn't vote for Kamala Harris or for Cory Booker in the primaries. But, but on the other hand, I mean, the candidate that they definitely helped to rise to raise to the White House, right? Barack Obama is is. One of the like, I guess, uh, uh, predecessors of the of the progressive movement, right? I mean, today, 
there's no question that Barack Obama stands behind criticism of Israel, behind the BLM movement. Oh, he... Right? I mean, he's very much like a... a like a sign of the progressive of the progressive movement to come i feel like i'll i'll back to differ actually i really? think yeah um progressives will not say today that barack obama was a good president they'll say that he was a very status quo of course, because that's the nature of progressives right they they're they're like powering through and anybody that gets left behind they're like no nah, he wasn't progressive i think even if you if that's progressive time, Even if you ask progressive to to, to they're the wave yeah but he even, was even, even, even if you ask him to compare Obama to Biden for example they'll tell you Biden is is more serious about the change that they think needs to happen in the economy for example he's more it's, woke he's more woke the infrastructure deal the, the the spending that he's about to to embark upon and this uh, the money for, for free the money for yeah that's one way to put it four and a half trillion dollars that's something that Obama never did that's something that any none of the democratic part presidents in the last 60 years have done and also I, I I beg to differ with your point about criticisms of Israel I don't think Obama today promotes criticisms of Israel I think he's trying to to conserve a very a very um, this uh, um, official diplomatic diplomatic figure yeah that's a good way to put it I, I, I do agree with the point that he was more critical of Israel than other democratic presidents. That's, that's true. By the way, some Republican presidents were also very critical of Israel in a very critical time. I can think of George Bush Sr., for example. Yeah. So, But uh, Obama really left uh, scorched grounds here in the Middle East when he... I, I think the Obama and Bibi relationship is a, is a story that can be told in, a, in many different um, occasions. And, and just as I mentioned the wave so Obama was 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 also a surfer on the wave he took it in a different direction he was uh, less um, less inclined to fight off the, the the direction the party went in maybe he actually was more critical of Israel himself but it, but it's just also the wave he was responding to this movement to this shift that that is always happening in the American politics in the last 20 years. And it's, uh, they're all playing this game of how to respond to this shift. Yeah. But it's a question if it's, a, if it's like a, a nice wave that you can surf, or if it's a tsunami. That's like, <laughs> I guess, the real question. Well, it's, it's slow. It's not happening overnight. So in, yeah. that, in that respect, it's not a tsunami. But, but it's happening. Yet. <laughs> yes. But uh, Biden didn't uh, mourn when Bibi left. No, definitely not. Although he was very gracious. About Bibi, like he didn't, he didn't thump his nose as Bibi. No, I, he did not call him, right? There was the whole thing there, right? There was a, the for a, in the beginning his, for a month uh, or something. Of his, uh, presidency. He was it like the last month. on his call list. You mean Bibi didn't call Biden? Or? No, there was a, wasn't there a oh, thing I, where I, Biden I, didn't call Bibi? There I, was a thing. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll remind you that Bibi was one of the last ones to, to call Bibi. Biden and congratulate by the way not because he hated Biden but because he was very careful with Trump yeah it took a while to realize and that Trump was offended nonetheless Trump was offended nonetheless <laughs> um, the story of Trump's life yeah but it, it was <laughs> that should be the biography dialogue yeah right yeah I agree it was it, it was a bit foggy in the first couple of days about who actually won the election and then while it was already pretty clear um, Trump was fighting it off and then Biden Um, baby was very careful so maybe when you I think what you're referring to is the calls after the inauguration where he was making official calls to yeah. leaders so yeah he, he called baby 
relatively late. After the, the Congos uh, got a call. <laughs> yeah. You know, just... Uh, yeah. Um, it could have been a personal thing. He, he was on the phone with them and he got a call from BB and he was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, again, it's a long history and we can go through it here. We can talk about the speech in 2015. You know, we can talk about how Obama left BB in the office. It's a, there are many chapters yeah, to, these, uh, yeah. to these relationships, <laughs> but I think it's been on and on yeah. several times. So let's talk about... Uh, Cuomo? Yeah, let's talk about Cuomo a little bit. They're just the, today or yesterday. the old man. Yeah. Um, there was the AG of New York came out with uh, the uh, report right from their investigation <coughs> that found that uh, they still haven't decided if it's perse- like uh, if it's criminal behavior that can be tried, but they found that he w- engaged. The evidence is mounting and is kind of uh, a lot of evidence th- to show that he that he engaged in inappropriate sexual behavior. I mean, Aziz Ansari got canceled for much less, no? Yeah, well, Aziz Ansari was not a politician. And politicians yeah. in the past um, two to three years have come to realize, I think it started with Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh was the first one to fight this uh, uh, attempt to, to, um, um, to, to, to bring these uh, sexual-oriented charges against him. And he said, no, I'm not bowing out. It also had a, a politics um, uh, aspect to it because it was a Republican and he thought it was coming from Democrats. But ever since Kavanaugh, politicians in general don't resign that easily in, 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 all, in all occasions and especially in cases of sexual harassment. That's and New York. It's not, but it's not only like New York. It's... You know, in Virginia, you had a case um, two years ago. There was a governor who, who wore a black face and his, uh, his name was Ralph Northam. And he decided not to only to apologize and not resign, even though many, many people called for his resignations. But even more interesting, his um, lieutenant governor, an African-American named Justin Fairfax, was accused of rape. I felt he, white-facing. No, no he, he, was, he was accused of rape or, or, or uh, sexual assault. I Not can't remember bad. which. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I'm um, misrepresented. But it was a very, uh, much harsher allegations than the ones that Andrew Cuomo is facing right now. And he didn't resign either. So it's becoming more and more common for politicians of all uh, colors and stripes To yeah, hold saying, on to office. But, but I'm, I'm saying, sure wait, but I'm saying New York, it's like the woke capital of the world. So if uh, the, the, the city, but also, I guess, the state. So like s- letting that go through. But you actually, when you say the city and the state, it's actually a very interesting distinction. The state is not that woke. This, it's, there are some rural parts. There are some suburban parts. The city, I agree, is the wokiest of the entire world. There's some hillbillies in the Catskills. <laughs> yeah, but also it's, you have to bear in mind that, that Andrew Cuomo is a household name in New York. His father was the governor. He's a very... And his brother, right? His brother is a he's CNN a... anchor. But also he was, he's, a, he's a very interesting character. And we can talk about, about the different aspects of it. But generally speaking... Is, is, is considered even by Republicans to be a very competent um, governor, not a very liberal governor, by What? the way. It was, it was in favor of uh, school choice, for example. School choice, some Republicans don't like the fact that uh, Democrats are trying to, in their, in their opinion, sabotage uh, private uh, charter schools. Yeah. And Bill de Blasio, who's a mayor, 
um, when he was elected mayor, was trying to to fight charter schools and to fight their 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 funding. And Andrew Cuomo was actually. But I think the only thing that, that that Republicans think about Andrew Cuomo right now is one about <laughs> these sexual allegations and two about the blunder with the uh, the old living homes, the nursing homes, the nursing homes. Yes, where he sent a bunch of uh, seniors back to the nursing homes with uh, COVID and. The death rate for nursing homes in New York was something like eight or seven or eight percent above the the average nationally, but but I think also the the idea also of ate pizza the, and, uh, <laughs> right what for, he ate pizza like for COVID something with the, I don't know the vaccine or something like that <gasps> maybe yeah. you're referring to Gavin Newsom uh, Gavin Newsom had an incident where he, ah, he yeah. went to a famous restaurant. No, 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 but Andrew, like he, I saw him, I think I'm almost certain eating pizza. He did this vaccination. Like there was the, the, the he tried blood. to incentivize maybe by yeah, giving free yeah, pizza. Something, something like that. Yeah. Eat get pizza. a slice. Yeah. Something like that. And get a slice. But I think the, the, there's a, also a, a, maybe short term memory here with the, the denying allegation. I mean, Bill Clinton also had tons of right rape and sexual assault allegations and then there was clarence thomas with the anita hill thing i mean like people have been getting this this flack or or you know if it's if it's actually real then legitimate allegations against them for a while and been standing up against it now yeah, yeah definitely what i'm trying to get at is that we are slowly going back to that era the the me too movement was the, the ah, was was the breaking of the norm it was a certain point in time <clears throat> in which people got canceled, so to speak, especially because of uh, uh, sexual mm. harassment things. It happened in politics as well. There was uh, um, um, the, the senator of Minnesota, Al Franken, who did resign because of similar, milder allegations than the ones um, um, Andrew Cuomo is facing right now. I'll remind you, um, Al Franken didn't touch any parts of any woman. He pretended to touch a part in a photo that was demeaning to the woman who was... Uh, was taken in it, but he didn't touch her, and he ended up resigning. That was right before um, an elections in Alabama, in which Democrats uh, managed to take a seat from the, the, the Republicans because the candidate there also had a sexual allegations issue. So that at that point of time, it was the height it was of also the influence. Uh, Spitzer. The Spitzer, yeah. Spitzer was a different case. It was prostitution, so it was illegal also. So it wasn't just the, the respect of women. Right. And um, but now we're just we're seeing this the gradual decline of the influence of the Me Too movement. Politicians, even Democratic politicians, are becoming more likely than not to hold on to office. Mm -hmm. They fight off the, the hard times. They, they wait. And it's it's interesting. This was only the first time. And you mentioned all of the problems that Cuomo faced. Today was the first time since this problem started for him that we had a poll showing that the majority of New Yorkers think he should resign, 59%. Before that, even when the media was on his case, even when Democrats were on his case, and even when, when very prominent figures in the Democratic Party called on him to resign, still the majority of New Yorkers didn't want him to resign. So this is actually, this t t comes to show that he's a very influential, very household name figure in New York, and he feels like he can mount a, a campaign against this thing, even when the president, and we now have Joe Biden calling us on his resignation. Even when the president is calling him to resign, he thinks he can fight it off. We'll see if he can. Maybe even run for a second ter for a fourth term. I find that very unlikely, but we'll see. And also, he's trying to. Is it he who does the green <coughs> pass? De Blasio. De Blasio. Ah, it's De Blasio. It's a, it's a municipal thing, right? It's a municipal thing, but 
we're talking about New York City, so it's um, it's bigger it's than, bigger than most states. And it's the only city right now in America where there's a green pass. I think they tried to do it in in several other places, but it's interesting. We think of green pass as being more more harsher than a, than a masks mandate. But for de Blasio, he doesn't want to have mask mandates. He's doing the green pass to avoid a, a mask mandate. He thinks, and actually it's interesting, there's some, there some bipartisan agreement on this. He thinks that it's not fair to punish, so to speak, people who got vaccinated by telling them to wear a mask. Not wearing a mask was supposed to be the prize, uh, in quotations. Mask or vax. For, exactly. So yeah. for him to have a green pass, to, to, to mandate that people get vaccines rather than wear masks, is a way to punish the people who are not getting vaccinated, as opposed to the people who did yeah. get vaccinated. But is it constitutional? Well, you have mandates in different areas and places um, in law. Um, you can say that it's a regulation in an emergency time and the Constitution does allow for uh, prerogatives and, and thoughts in terms of emergencies. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Republican judge who would have uh, filed for it, who would have uh, gave an injunction on it. But in reality, most judges in New York don't, don't, don't rule this way. And But it does kind of fly in the face of like uh, standard HIPAA regulations that kind of protect medical privacy, right? That you can't force someone to legally, <coughs> like by state law or by municipal law, to force someone to give up medical information in order to... Um, right. I, I, I think you can, you can mount several um, um, objections to it. You can, say, you can say this, you can say some people on the grounds of religion can say that this is a problematic. Some people just, just in terms of religion, the religion doesn't allow them to take shots uh, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There are several... Where it gets really gray, right? Because I can make up a religion <coughs> tomorrow. Yeah, but the, the, the thing, I think what he's counting on is that most people wouldn't fight it off. And that by the time... That, uh, that a proper legal uh, campaign against it will be mounted. COVID will be solved. COVID will be at least under control. And yeah, it's actually, you, can, you can make an argument, a conservative argument for why is it a, it's a good thing, because conservatives are the ones who really believe in what I said before, that, that it's not fair to punish the vaxxed, the people who did get vaccinated. Also, in terms of, think about um, teachers' unions. So teachers are, are conservatives are, are mad about teachers for all sorts of reasons. They feel like they do whatever they want. They don't want to go to, to teach because uh, they are afraid of COVID. And now some teachers are not getting vaccinated because they feel like they, they can't be forced to get vaccinated. And teachers, unlike other people, always interact with many, many people who didn't get vaccinated, which are children. So if, 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 a, if a teacher, regardless of his political beliefs, doesn't get vaccinated, he can be a, a spreader if he, if he gets COVID. And Republicans are saying, oh, this is our chance to, to get them in line. Because if there's a blanket endorsement of, of a green light, of a green pass, then everybody needs to get vaccinated. Teachers, nonetheless, uh, notwithstanding. And then you, you, you can get them finally to fall in line with the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. America. Yeah. <laughs> Here, it's just green pass for everyone. No yeah. questions asked. It's not even a question. We just bend and take it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, so um, we got to cut things short a bit today, but uh, thank you. It, it feels like we could talk for another yeah. two hours. 
Um, but you'll come again, right? Sure. You didn't you suffer with me? the cake and everything. Yeah, the cake from Noor's grandma was amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, have we, it on we, record now. We can do a bed shit um, competition. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think it should be an Olympic sport by now. Really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. everything's an Olympic sport yeah, by if, now. If dressage what is about an Olympic cake sport? eating? <laughs> yeah. What is dressage? It's the, ho- the dancing horses. Oh, come it's not on. E- not even the ones that jump, just the ones that dance. They're going to lose it. By, by At some point, the Olympics is just going to have taken it too far. No one's going to want to watch. Yeah, probably. Beer drinking. Cake eating. Iftar, um, <laughs> you're on Twitter. I am. Um, so, But you do you tweet in English? Very, uh, very rarely. Seldom. Yeah. Okay. but Ma- it's Maybe if, I should change that. Yeah. So Iftar, just spell your name for the audience. It's Y-I-F. T-A-C-H, and then the last name straight afterwards is D-A-Y-A-N, Iftah Dayan. And you also, you do lectures? I do. So people can reach out, Zoom lectures abroad, etc. Yeah, cool. yeah, Very cool. Thank and you so English much. English is, is not a problem, as you guys can tell. So reach out. Do you have a website? I have a Facebook page. A Facebook page. So reach out, Iftah Dayan. You heard how to spell his name. Look him up. Uh, it's going to be surely an interesting lecture. And before we go, guys, we do this on our free time. Ah, first of all, Arutz Sheva. Uh, uh, IsraelNationalNews.com. Yes, we're uh, sponsored. They, they share our content, so check them out. Also, uh, Australian Jewish News, AJN.TimesOfIsrael.com. Check them out for the Australian angle. Uh, the lockdown, they're under lockdown, so support them. Uh, and last but not least, we accept donations, so please help us out. Go yes. to TwinJB.com slash donate and donate money to us thank you so much Iftah. thank you for thank having you me. for coming bye, bye guys, guys.